0: You are Locked On Rockets, your daily Houston Rockets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. James Harden put up 37 points on better than 45% shooting, better than 45% from three in just 31 minutes, and somehow that wasn't enough to even be competitive against a Philadelphia 76ers squad in Philly without Jimmy Butler. On that unfortunate note, welcome in to a recap episode of Locked on Rockets, your home for daily podcast commentary, for better or for worse, on all things Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Ben Dubose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship in Houston. As we chat this Tuesday afternoon, we're gonna look over the good and the bad, 99% of which is the bad, from Monday night's deflating 121 to 93 loss that the Rockets suffered in Philadelphia against a 76ers team that did not even have Jimmy Butler. Now the Rockets, of course, also did not have Chris Paul and Clint Capella, and ultimately It's the latter of those two, the absence of Clint Capella, that was most glaring because Joel Embiid just went to work. 32 points, 14 rebounds in only 27 minutes. Embiid was actually questionable going into the game with a bad back and still put up 32 and 14, got to the line 17 times in just 27 minutes. And I don't think many of them were bad calls. The Rockets without Clint Capella, this was an exaggerated matchup because the Sixers with Embiid, even without Butler, it's Embiid that hits the Rockets at this point in time where they are weakest, and ultimately, the other big names that were out, Jimmy Butler for the Sixers, Chris Paul for the Rockets, they're not really the story. What made the big deal here was the Sixers having one of the league's biggest and most athletic centers able to attack a Rockets squad that, without Clint Capella, is either too small or too stiff. Now, that's not to say that the center spot was the only thing that went wrong, really, other than James Harden, who had the aforementioned 37 points and better than 45% shooting from three and from the field, pretty much everyone had their roles, and we'll discuss them as we move our way through our three points recap. James Ennis off the bench, one game after his awesome showing Saturday against the Lakers, was fairly dreadful. Had 18 points on six of nine shooting. Then on Saturday, in Monday's loss in Philly, went the complete other direction, minus 21, by far the worst plus minus of any player on the Rockets bench, just two of seven. The starting backcourt, Austin Rivers, Eric Gordon, they went a combined two of 18. So really, outside of James Harden, you can put your blame almost anywhere. But the reality is, for the Rockets, what I think is the leading theme for this 28-point loss is the absence of any help up front, especially on the defensive end of the floor. The good news for the Rockets, they did get their anticipated debut from Kenneth Fareed. And even though he barely knew any plays, still played relatively well. 13 points, 6 rebounds in 20 30 minutes. Also hit just his fourth career three. So even though he was just signed a matter of seconds before the game, well, I guess we can say two hours, but you get my drift. Even though he was brand new offensively, his synergies on the pick and roll as a lob threat with James Harden, they were there. The problem is that on the other end of the floor, he is just 6'8", 220 pounds, as we discussed on Saturday, based on the combination of the fact that he's not an elite defender and... He's only had four career three-pointers. He's a five only in the Rockets' system. And against Joel Embiid, a legit seven-footer, that's just not enough. He can match it offensively. Defensively, he couldn't. Nene actually started, although played just eight minutes, which I think is reflective of how poor the matchup was for him. At 36 years old, he's just no match athletically for what Joel Embiid can do for the Sixers. Now, we should point out that even though it wasn't a back-to-back, the Rockets have had a grueling past week the last two games, Brooklyn and the Lakers both overtime and put up a record 68 and 73 pointers in each game. So to turn the page from two games, which a shorthanded team had to go overtime and had to expend a ton of effort as far as Wednesday's game against Brooklyn, climbing off the mat after blowing it in regulation and somehow then blowing it in overtime as well. And then Saturday, overcoming an early 21-point deficit and making up a gap of nine points with under three minutes to go seven points with barely over a minute left, and six points with only 40 seconds to go. So the Rockets are shorthanded, and as far as some of the shooters that we referenced earlier, Eric Gordon played just 27 minutes. You can tell that he's still working his way back from that knee. He's still flexing that. He's done 100%. Austin Rivers, who went scoreless in 27 minutes, 0 of 5. He's had his struggles with his a finger, it looks like, on his right hand. Not sure which one, but we've seen him almost for two weeks now off and on, shaking that a lot. So in addition to the fatigue and mileage issues, I do think that the starting backcourt, Rivers and Gordon going 2 of 18, there's some injury issues there as well. And then, of course, there's not having Chris Paul and Clint Capella, two members of your big three. So it's not that this is an inexcusable loss, especially on the road. The Sixers improved to 31 and 17. The Rockets fall to 26 and 20. It's not like this is a game that you had circled as one you should win, even when the Rockets are at full strength. The Sixers are good enough to beat you. They are an obscenely talented team. And even though they were without Jimmy Butler sitting out to rest a wrist injury, then you still, with Chris Paul and Clint Capella out, I would say while neither of those individually is as good as Jimmy Butler, the collective combination of those makes it to where even a Sixers squad without Jimmy Butler, it's not like all of a sudden the Rockets are just the better team out there. And the one thing that kept coming back to me as I watched that 28-point beatdown was why we said immediately after losing Clint Capella that he is probably the number two to James Harden when it comes to actual indispensable pieces, the way the Rockets are constructed. Because even though Chris Paul, when he's right, is a better basketball player, at the same time, you have Austin Rivers, you have Eric Gordon, you have secondary playmakers who, for most nights, I know they didn't on Monday, but are able to step in and give you at least certain levels of what you would get from Chris Paul as a ball handler, as a facilitator, as a secondary release valve, After James Harden. Without Clint Capella, there is no one that can step up and provide you the combination of the role man element on offense and then defensively rebounding, protecting the rim. You have bit players as far as Nene, Kenneth Free, that based on the matchup, you can mix and match. But in terms of the combination to go against the upper echelon bigs of the league, that's what you need. And without Capella, that's where the Rockets... They might can replace it on one side of the floor. Fareed did a pretty good job, 13 points on 5 of 7 shooting in his 23 minutes. But ultimately, he just doesn't have the size or the instincts to replace Capella on the other end of the floor. And the good news is that, as mentioned off the top, Joel Embiid, 32-14 and in 27 minutes, got to the line 17 times. He's an exaggerated matchup. You're not going to go up against another big, even all the way out until the All-Star break, that is that quality, especially on the offensive end of the floor, with the combination of size and moves. That said, when you look at, especially the next six games, you have four of them. Toronto, New Orleans, Denver, and Utah that have very efficient, very athletic bigs, and while none of them are in the droll and bead category, at the same time, it's a little worrisome. Now, with the Pelicans, we'll have to wait and see if Anthony Davis is back by then. With the Nuggets, we know the Rockets have been just an awful matchup for Denver for years, but a lot of that, in my opinion, as I said, after the most recent Rockets win earlier this month over the Nuggets, is because of Clint Capella's ability to counter Nikola Jokic. Without Capella, will Jokic have more success? Time will tell. So for the Rockets, you have to hope that at least some of what happened against the Sixers was the perfect storm of circumstances. Again, the Sixers having a nice night at home, the gym was all sorts of lit, Corey Brewer went full troll mode, the referees were spotty, and at some point there just becomes a spiraling effect. James Harden did not even play the fourth quarter, which was a smart move by Mike D'Antoni, even though Harden was playing really well with the game at 30 points effectively with the margin. It's not like James even scoring 37 points in just 31 minutes, shooting better than 45% from the field and from three, is going to be able to turn it by himself. So hopefully the Rockets not having to extend any of their regulars all that much, extensive garbage time. That helps them have a little more energy moving forward, because they're going to need it. Again, I don't know if the Raptors, the Pelicans, the Nuggets, the Jazz, that's four of your next six over the next week and a half. I don't think any of them have that one guy like Embiid that has that combination, but... They at least have some size with athleticism, and we speculated that that would be a problem as soon as Clint Capella went out. Well, it played out as many of us had feared. And what really stands out: the Rockets are now two and two since losing Capella. And even though they've won 15 of 21 now, which is still a pretty good job of turning around their season after that deflating 11 and 14 start, the reality is that you have to break it down into smaller bite-sized chunks. And when the Rockets lost Capella, That fundamentally changed their dynamic on the interior. So since then, they did get the big win over Memphis, who was reeling, but since then they've lost two of three, and really, what success they have had, it's been with extreme variance. As mentioned, they put up against Brooklyn and the Lakers 68 and 73 pointers, which shattered the prior record of attempts, 61 in a game, so depending on what quarter it was, what stretch, some they're able to put up points in a hurry, but if they didn't, then the other team was able to put up their own points very, very quickly. And then you get to the Philly game, which with Joel Embiid, there was just no one that could match up. So to me, the biggest storyline is that it shows you that Clint Capella, his absence, it's going to be a big deal. Now you hope the Rockets do have three of their next four at home, starting with that three-game homestand beginning Friday against the Raptors. So role players typically play better at home, especially if you're having to bomb away from three. And the one road game you have left, which is Wednesday night in New York, is not against a good team. So hopefully... The matchups aren't as bad as they were in the case of the Sixers and Joel Embiid. By the way, the second game of that homestand against the Magic, I left that earlier, but Nikola Vucevic, that's someone who torched the Rockets earlier this month when the Magic got that win. That was the game a week and a half ago when Clint Capella injured that thumb. So in closing out this first segment, it's not so much that there's any one thing that happened that makes me way more pessimistic than I was after the Rockets stole that game Saturday against... The Lakers, ultimately, they're still in the number 5 spot in the Western Conference. There's a lot of parity. They get Chris Paul back likely later this week. Clint Capella back after another 12 games on the other side of the All-Star break. So the Rockets will have time to make their run. But the question is whether they can stay afloat at a reasonable enough level to where that run on the other side of the All-Star break, when they're presumably healthy, that hopefully they're still in the middle of the Western Conference playoff picture as opposed to down in that 6-8 through range. That, to me, is the storyline to watch. I think some of these trends, the combination of the Nets and Lakers games being so grueling, a road game in Philadelphia, a good team with just a jazz gem, so many things just let this game get away. And ultimately, over 82 games, that's going to happen from time to time, for better or for worse. But if you're the Rockets, it's also a reminder that until you get Clint Capella back, you are not going to be whole. There are going to be some matchups that are just really, really difficult because between Nene and Kenneth Fareed, there's just not a way that you can really match up against someone like Joel Embiid. And in the case of the Sixers, even without Jimmy Butler, just Embiid alone and that presence near the rim was enough to just tilt this matchup in their direction, even with James Harden playing extremely well, 37 points, better than 45% from the field and from three in just 31 minutes. So before we go into... The players who did play and what went wrong for them beyond just the statistics, I think it's important to note that, above all else, this is just a bad matchup without Clint Capella. The good news is that the Rockets don't play the Sixers again until March, and by that point, Clint Capella should be back. But it's not like Embiid is the only skilled big in the league. The Rockets have more of those matchups on the horizon over the next week and a half or so, and hopefully they'll have strategies, maybe being at home will help as well, to counteract that a little bit more than what they did in Monday's 121-93 defeat. Now, jumping back into the program, our recap of the 121-93 beatdown that the Sixers put on the Rockets in Philly on Monday night—the win improving the Sixers 31 and 17 out East, the loss dropping the Rockets to 26 and 20—with still a hold, but a very tenuous one on the number five seed in the Western Conference at the moment. As mentioned during our first segment, which largely had to do with Clint Capella, it wasn't as if. The big deficiency, the fact the Rockets had no one that could athletically, physically match up with the seven-feet Joel Embiid, even with a bad back, that was probably the most impactful storyline, but it wasn't like the Rockets had much help either. And as far as the supporting cast, the Rockets, they shot 68 and 73s their last two games. They hit 25, one short of their own all-time NBA record for three-point makes on Saturday against the Lakers. On Monday, they were just 11 of 42, and of those 11 makes, 6 were from James Harden. So outside of James Harden, the Rockets made just 5 threes as a team. Now I think those numbers are a little exaggerated because the Sixers are very long, not just up front with Embiid, but they have a lot of length and athleticism on the perimeter that made it tough for the Rockets to fire off the volume that they normally do, and also there was extensive garbage time in the fourth quarter where the likes of Vincent Edwards were out there, Marquise Chris, so certainly you were not running your normal offense. But... Generally speaking, if the Rockets, outside of James Harden, only make five threes in a game, it's not going to be pretty, and certainly it was not. Overall, the Rockets shot just 36% from the field, 26% from three, as mentioned. They're out-rebounded by 17 yet again. We said that for the Rockets, on the on the glass, without Clint Capella, they're not going to win many of these battles, but they at least need to be within 10 or so to keep it competitive. Well, now you've had two... Minus 17 games in your last three, which is pretty concerning. So really, other than James Harden, this was a failure up and down the roster. There are some extenuating circumstances with the tired legs, the injury condition of Austin Rivers and Eric Gordon, but really, outside of Harden, who I thought also made some impactful plays defensively with a couple of steals, a couple of blocks, no one played well for the Rockets in Philly. It's just a bad game. And hopefully you can turn the page quickly against a Knicks team also on the road on Wednesday night. That's what's next up tomorrow that the Rockets, even in their current state, should be able to beat. The Knicks just aren't a very good basketball team right now. But when you go through the list of issues for the Rockets, the rebounding that somewhat plays into what we said in segment one, which is that without Clint Capella... The Rockets just don't have anyone. A 36-year-old in the nay, a Kenneth Reed who at the five, at six foot eight, is undersized. They just don't really have that presence, especially against Joel Embiid. You'd be better than minus 17, but again, the Rockets been near the bottom of the league in defensive rebounding all season long. So I don't know how much of that is a bad night and how much is just roster composition issues at the moment. Then you look at the shooting. A combined two of 18 from Austin Rivers and Eric Gordon. Well, a couple of things. One, going into this, Austin Rivers has been playing the most minutes per game of anyone this month on the Rockets, even more than James Harden. And over the past two weeks, nearly two weeks now, we have seen him off and on continue to grab at the fingers on his shooting hand. Obviously, there's nothing they're concerned about. My guess is that he jammed it going back to that Milwaukee game. But he just doesn't have the touch that he had when he initially signed with the Rockets. Hopefully, over time, that will fade. Same thing with Eric Gordon. Of course, with Gordon, it's his knee. But yet again, second time in three games, we saw him leave a little bit early, flexing it. Trainers gave it some attention. Rockets set after the game. It wasn't a big deal, they're not concerned about it, it's to be expected, but I think with both those guys, Gordon and Rivers, the bottom line is they're not healthy, but the Rockets don't see it as a situation like with Chris Paul or with James Ennis before him, to which it's the nature of the injury, a hamstring strain, that is so easy to recur. With Rivers and Gordon, it's an issue of pain tolerance and between the jammed finger and the bruised knee that ultimately, combination of getting used to the pain, but More so is that you can't make it worse, and over time, especially when next month you have an all-star break, so that means a week off, they should be able to get better. That's not to give them a pass, because two of 18, as far as your backcourt, excluding James Harden, it's not good enough, especially when you don't have Chris Paul, and hopefully Paul is ready to come back either Friday against Toronto or Sunday against Orlando. That appears to be the timetable and the plan for Jonathan Fagan, Rockets beat writer with the Houston Chronicle. But Rivers and Gordon... They played relatively well of late, especially Gordon who had 30 on Saturday, including the highlight three basically at the buzzer to force overtime, then close the door at overtime with a three and several free throws down the stretch. I think those two are going to be fine. I think it's a combination of just a random bad night, there's a spiraling effect, they're dealing with some injuries, ultimately one bad game from the two of them is not going to make me feel too down, especially when you factor in how well Gordon has played since coming back against Brooklyn and against the Lakers. I think it's just a bad game, and for the team as a whole, there's just a spiraling effect that eventually takes hold. The guy who I am a little bit more concerned about is James Ennis the Third who we talked about in the aftermath of Saturday's game, was such an uplifting storyline. The 18 points, 6 of 9 shooting, 27 big minutes he played against the Lakers, including the stretch early in the third quarter. He put up eight points in the first five minutes or so, which helped the Rockets get out of that 18-point hole at the half and ultimately close it to within five by the end of the third and put them in striking distance. With Daniel House and his contract stalemate at the moment, we'll talk about that more specifically in the third and final segment on the other side, but with House not with them now, with the Rockets losing James Nunnally, we'll discuss that as well, in the roster moves, they were able to trade Carmelo Anthony to the Bulls, but because it was a holiday, the NBA did not officially process the trade, so they had to let Nunnally go, and since he was on a 10-day, it's not like they were really keeping Nunnally around long-term, as it was even before the weird issues with the timing of the Melo trade, to get Fareed active for Monday night's game, the Rockets, they lost Nunnally. House is still down at the G League level. And after signing Farid, you're limited in terms of roster spots because of your 15 slots, five of them at the moment are occupied by fives only. Capella, who's out injured, Nene, Farid, Isaiah Hartenstein, and Marquise Chris. Now, this will get better over time. I think Marquise Chris is basically just on the roster because they can use his salary to to match potential offers at the trade deadline one way or another after that. I think he'll be gone And, of course, with Capella, that's the most important spot. Well, right now you're getting nothing because he's hurt. He is going to be back on the other side of the All-Star break. So all of this is temporary, but the reality is that with the Rockets really having only 10 non-center roster spots at the moment, if James Ennis doesn't play well, and in Monday's game, what limited impact he had, it felt like came in the fourth quarter in extensive garbage time, did have four steals, but seven points, two of seven from the field, missed his only three, seemed a bit turnover-prone. Actually, he had just one turnover, but the reason I said it looked like he was turnover-prone is the amount of confusion. He never really seemed fluid or confident with where he was supposed to be on the offensive end of the court. And again, 7 points, 2 of 7 shooting. By far, a team works minus 21 off the Rockets bench in the plus-minus. You had some poor plus-minus figures amongst the starters, which is to be expected, because it was especially against Embiid early in the first, early in the third quarter, where things went south. But off the bench, they generally played a lot better, especially in garbage time, Yet, Ennis was the only guy, one of only two, that was even minus double figures off the bench. I do think it's reflective that he was not a quality player for you on Monday in Philadelphia. And just as Saturday was a very encouraging game from his perspective, Monday's rather deflating because, again, with the roster constraints at the moment, There are no other alternatives. The Rockets need wing defense. It's been a theme all season long since losing Trevor Ariza and Luke Baamute. And now, especially without Chris Paul and Clint Capella, if there's one thing that Chris Paul can bring you more than just his playmaking, maybe he helps stabilize your perimeter defense a little bit more. Perhaps you do have that to look forward to. But even once CP comes back, in terms of long 6'8", 6'9", 6'7", wing types that you can trust to throw out there, especially against a team like the Sixers with a lot of length and athleticism, You don't have that many options. You have to sink or swim with James Ennis. On Saturday night against the Lakers, they were able to swim. On Monday night in Philadelphia, they sank. And ultimately, it is just one game. But the reality is that with Ennis, because the sample has been so small with the hamstring injuries... We have to make a bigger deal out of these one games because there's just not that much else to go on. So at the end of the day, I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to say that there's no reason to play James Ennis going forward. Number one, based on the roster limitations, they kind of have to no matter what, just because of his physique. But beyond that, it is just one game. It's the same it counts for as what happened against the Lakers on Saturday. But the reality is that if you're going to look at Saturday as encouraging, as a positive, which I did on this very podcast, you have to look at Monday as a negative and with Daniel House still not there, with James only no longer with the team, the Rockets, to me, it's James Ennis that's most concerning for Monday, because Rivers, Gordon, there's some extenuating circumstances there, there's long enough track records, you trust that they'll be fine. With James Ennis, we truly don't know, because his sample has been so small this season, especially in his newfound bench role. Saturday was really good, Monday, not so much. So to me, while it is just one game, you do have to realize that you don't really know much about how this is going to turn out. And unfortunately, the Rockets, for the foreseeable future, they don't have a lot of other options that they can turn to for that wing defense. What limited options they may have, we'll talk about momentarily as we close out the program. Now, as we close out Tuesday's recap of the deflating 121-93 loss the Rockets suffered in Philadelphia on Monday evening. We spent much of the second segment discussing the supporting cast to James Harden, how woefully inadequate it was, and certainly Austin Rivers, Eric Gordon, your starting backcourt, 2 of 18, that didn't help. But James Ennis, the guy who 6 of 9, 18 points in 27 minutes Saturday was a way of an unsung hero, went the other direction Monday in Philadelphia, 31 minutes, just 2 of 7 shooting, 7 points minus 21 in the plus minus. And the reason that Ennis, a guy who's right now the 7th or 8th man in terms of your rotation is such a big storyline to watch... Well, it's because you've lost James Donnelly, who didn't play well against the Lakers even when he was on the roster, and there's still no resolution in sight that I know of to the Daniel House Jr. contract standoff. So, as we finish up the program on Tuesday, let's discuss what happened off the court with the Rockets Tuesday. The Rockets did finally trade Carmelo Anthony. He is no longer on the roster. They found a taker, the Bulls, the same one that took Michael Carter Williams, effectively the Rockets sending them some cash so that the Bulls would do the dirty work of actually releasing him, which is better for the Rockets' luxury tax situation. However, because it was the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday, the NBA did not have its usual personnel to finalize the deal at the league office. That had to wait until Tuesday... And because of that, the Rockets had to make another move that was cutting James Dunley, who on a 10-day deal was the easiest to move and cut bait from to actually have Kenneth Fareed active and able to go. He did give you 23 minutes, 13.6 rebounds as your backup center to Nene against Joel Embiid on Monday. In theory, the Rockets could re-sign James Dunley on Tuesday. He doesn't have to go through waivers. There's no 48-hour waiting since he was on a 10-day contract and not a real contract but they haven't done it yet, maybe there's some optimism there that they're hoping that they can use that roster spot for Daniel House Jr. That's at least the scenario that I am hoping for, because what I think these past few days have taught us is Daniel House, it's tougher to replace that skill set than you might have thought. A lot of what's happened for the Rockets in the James Harden era, you've been able to plug and play different types. James Harden makes his teammates better. Well, with Daniel House, the combination of his athleticism, his upper body strength, his ability to put the ball on the floor, those are things that James Nunnally and James Ennis, your two wing defense replacements, have not been able to provide. Not only, when he was with the team, and even if they re-signed him, which they conceivably could do, he's looked tentative offensively, but even if he gets the three-point stroke to start falling again, made three in his debut against Brooklyn, what's so striking about Nunnally is he's just nowhere near as strong physically as Daniel House. With James Ennis, he might be comparable in terms of strength but he's not able to put the ball on the floor with anywhere near the same degree of success. Daniel House, it's not that he's just reinventing the wheel out there, but as far as 3D options go, it's not as easy to replace those as maybe the Rockets, even Gerald Morey, had thought. And hopefully that sparks a resolution with Daniel House sooner rather than later. Now, it doesn't have to be House. There have been reports, including Kelly Eco at The Athletic, that the Rockets are looking for wing help at the deadline. So conceivably, that now open roster spot, because with the Carmelo deal not being finalized, they had to release Nunnally to add Fareed. So now you still have, as we're chatting midday Tuesday, two roster spots open. Conceivably, you could get someone else as well. It wouldn't have to be Daniel House. But the fact is, with House already in your system, and by the way, House, since going down to the G League level, the Vipers have had two games. He has not played in any. I don't think that he's voluntarily sitting out. I really don't think he's going to not play basketball at all in protest to this. No, he needs tape. Even if it's at the G League level, it's better than nothing to convince teams to give him the kind of money that he wants this summer if he ultimately is on the market, which of course is part of the stakes. What's at contention here with the Rockets and House? If you want more on that, check out our Daniel House Jr. episode from last Tuesday when we broke down why the stalemate exists and what the potential compromises are moving forward. But the fact that House has not played in any of the Vipers games since going down, to me, that's a pretty encouraging sign that negotiations are still going on because, no, I don't anticipate him to sit the season. That's ridiculous. The fact they haven't played him yet, which would risk injury, to me, that indicates at least there are discussions that are ongoing between the Rockets and his agent. And the fact that they did not immediately sign James Donnelly back, even after the Rockets indicated they were miffed, you, know, you could see the reports on Monday that they did not realize why the league could not Process that deal on Tuesday, even though it's a rule. It was not a collectively bargained one. So there's some frustration. The Rockets wish they had had Nunnally. Well, they could bring him back today, and they have yet to do that yet. So between the fact that that roster spot is still open, the fact that House has not played at the G League level indicates that there's at least some hope, in my opinion, that the Rockets could get House back. And as far as the compromises, they could give him a larger deal. They offered him three years, fully guaranteed, at the league minimum. Maybe you could give him a three-year deal at about... $3.5 $3.5 million per year starting using what's left of your MLE since you've got Kenneth Fareed To sign for the mid level exception or or for the minimum instead of the mid level exception, then you do have more money than you might have thought because I'm sure you were earmarking some of it for a guy like Fareed. Well, thankfully, you didn't have to use the MLE on him. Maybe now that you've got Fareed in the fold, they didn't last Tuesday, that makes them more willing to use the MLE on House. Or maybe it's a two year deal instead of a three. I think that might be more realistic because House clearly wants to hit the market as soon as possible. So maybe it's a two year deal at the minimum rather than three so that. The Rockets get one more year of security, and they at least have early bird rights when he would become a free agent in July 2020 instead of July 2019. So these are the potential paths, but the fact that the Rockets haven't played him at the G League level yet, the fact that the Rockets haven't re-signed James Nunnley, even though they easily could, and they liked him a week ago. I know he hasn't played quite as well as we were hoping, but certainly he had played enough, done enough that they were miffed by how the situation was handled on Monday, The fact that no action has been taken on either of those fronts, the roster spot still there for the taking, and just the reality that between Nunnally's lack of upper body strength, in my opinion, that's his biggest impediment. It's not the shooting, that'll come around. I'm sure he's a little bit nervous getting used to the scheme. There's a lack of upper body strength relative to Daniel House. With James Ennett, it's the fact that even though he has the body type comparable to Daniel House, he's not able to put the ball on the floor and attack the rim when people close out on him at the three point line. So the Rockets see the same things that we're seeing, and with James Ennis not producing or at least being inconsistent and James Donnelly not even earning a second 10-day look. To me, these are signs that Daniel House Jr. might be even more important than we thought this time a week ago and of course the Rockets have lost two of the three games since they've lost Daniel House. So again, to my knowledge, there's nothing imminent, although all it takes is one phone call. But I still think that he is more likely than any other outside 3 and D type addition because you know he fits within your team structure, you've seen him succeed, even when the Rockets were playing really, really well over the past month, they have his rights, worst case, you could convert him to a one-year deal and still use him as an ideal optimal fit this season, that's what he's asking to have happen, but there are compromises available three-year for more than the minimum, two-year at the minimum, but letting House hit free agency in July 2020 rather than July 21, my hope is that the Rockets, I don't know if it happens today or tomorrow tomorrow. But they know they have this asset within their own system, and unlike going after another team's player, you don't even have to worry about how is he going to fit, how is he going to learn the playbook, adapt to what you do in Houston. No, you already know that about Daniel House, and with every game that James Nunnally does not flash, and now he's not even on the roster anymore, with every game that James Ennis has that's just not good enough, it reflects the fact that, yeah, the Rockets, Daniel House was a good player to begin with, but based on what's happened in the three games since, the need for him might be even greater than when we had our House Junior episode last Tuesday. So hopefully between that and the roster spot, that's a catalyst for something happening relatively soon. As far as whether it will, stay tuned. Anyway, on that note, that's where we'll wrap up our Tuesday episode. Largely depressing. Apologies for that. Of the one twenty-one to ninety-three loss, the Rockets suffered on Monday night in Philadelphia. Rockets falling to twenty-six and twenty. Sixers improving to thirty-one and seventeen. If you want more content before our next episode, best place to get it, of course, is on Twitter. I'm on there, at Ben DuBose, simply my name. And the show is on there, at Locked on Rockets. Also, don't forget, check out our Locked on NBA Net Twitter and Instagram handle that gives you a curated feed of our local experts across the association, people just like myself and in other cities, if you want to see what they're saying about their team or what they're saying about the Rockets when the Rockets come to play, their squad, which happens next in New York as the Rockets finish up this two-game East Coast road trip with a game at Madison Square Garden against the Knicks on Wednesday night. So until then, this is where we will leave you. Of course, we'll be back Wednesday night whenever the Rockets play the Knicks right after that. Hopefully a, a bit more positive because the Knicks nowhere near as quality a team as the Sixers are. Sixers, the aforementioned 31 and 17. Knicks are second to last in the Eastern Conference at just ten and thirty-five, and they've lost six consecutive games. So it should be an opportunity for the Rockets to get back on the right foot, but whatever happens, though, we will be breaking it down for you right here at Locked on Rockets. If you want more of our past shows before that, I strongly encourage you to subscribe to us. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Megaphone, Spotify, those are all places you can check out our prior shows, such as the aforementioned Daniel House Jr. episode, what's going on with his contract that we had one week ago Tuesday, so if you'd be kind enough to subscribe, Leave a five-star review. That's how you get the benefit of episodes even before I can post them to my Twitter page. And we get the benefit between your subscription and hopefully your five-star review of looking attractive to potential advertisers and keeping the business model rolling as the only daily podcast covering Houston Rockets basketball. Also, LockedOnRockets at gmail.com is our email address. So if you get questions of the team, about the team, or if you're interested in inquiring about becoming an advertiser yourself, please don't hesitate to reach out to me by email at LockedOnRockets at gmail.com. One last plug before we sign off, if you've got a smart speaker for Christmas or if you work with voice assistant providers, just say play podcast Locked on Rockets and you should be able to find our show that way as well. So if you're working out, driving, whatever it may be, and you use a voice assistant or smart speaker, play podcast Locked on Rockets and you can find their most recent episodes that way as well. Once again, the unhappy final from Philadelphia on Monday evening, Sixers 121. Rockets 93. James Harden had 31 points, very efficient, 31 minutes, better than 45% from the field and from three. His teammates, however, did nowhere near enough to help him out. Rockets do step down in weight class Wednesday against the Knicks, so they should have an opportunity to get back on winning terms again. But whatever happens, we'll be right here at Locked on Rockets to break it down tomorrow night. Rockets-Knicks. For now, enjoy the rest of your Tuesday, and thanks for stopping by here at Locked on Rockets, your home for daily coverage of Houston Rockets basketball.